we come then to consider the theme of the Exodus. It's a major theme throughout scripture, which we're going to see is so important in the scriptural record. And it centers in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it teaches us the principles of life and death and how we must live now if we are to enter into the promised land. So please begin by coming to Hebrews chapter 11. The Exodus is a Greek word that's used three times in our New Testament. We find it here in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, in that one verse which we have about that very wonderful and faithful man, Joseph. And so it's in Hebrews 11, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. And that word departing is the Greek word exodus. When he died, he made mention of the exodus of the children of Israel. And so we see then that exodus, it means departing. It's all about a departure, leaving Egypt behind as the children of Israel did. And by implication, it's also about a journey. You depart from somewhere to go to somewhere else. You leave Egypt behind to depart and travel and journey to the promised land. And so it's about leaving Egypt behind and journeying to the promised land. That's the theme of the Exodus. We see that this is the one thing that's picked out about Joseph's faith, that he looked forward to the Exodus. Joseph, who was a young lad, was sold into slavery, became a slave in Egypt. How he must have longed to return back to the promised land. And yet, here he is right at the end of his life. He's dying. He's still in Egypt. But he has that faith that after his death, God will visit his people. And God will bring them out. And his bones are going to come out. And ultimately, of course, Joseph will be raised from the dead. And he will have inheritance in the promised land. And so then this is the Exodus. We can see that when we call the Exodus, uh, Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, that we have scriptural precedent to do this because this is how it's used in Hebrews 11, verse 22. And we're going to see it's a very important subject. So if you just consider that this is Joseph, and it's when he died, he's making mention, but the, the Greek word mentioned there, it's normally translated remembrance. And so your margins might have an alternate suggestion. Perhaps we should render this by faith Joseph, when he died, remembered the exodus of the children of Israel. And yet how can Joseph remember something that hasn't yet happened? Well, clearly, he must be remembering the prophecies that this will happen, that God has assured his people it will happen. Presumably, Joseph is remembering back to what Abraham was told in Genesis 15. Genesis 15, verses 14 to 16. The forefather of the nation of Israel, Abraham, was given the prophecy that the Exodus would take place. And this is what Joseph is commended for, the faith in that. And so we begin to see what an important subject this is, that right back in Genesis, in Genesis 15, we receive a prophecy of this. And we're going to go back to Genesis now, but actually we're going to go back further than Genesis 15. This goes back to Genesis and chapter 12. And so if you're turning with me to Genesis 12, and I'm just going to share my screen now. So I'm going to share the PowerPoint. And we're going to pick up the Exodus in Genesis chapter 12. Because the forefather Abraham of the nation of Israel was not only given a prophecy of the Exodus that it would take place, but more than this, Abraham was actually given his own Exodus experience. Abraham experienced the Exodus for himself. And we're going to use Genesis 12 to remind ourselves just briefly what the the whole idea of the account of the Exodus is about, because we have the Exodus here in Genesis 12 in miniature. We have a cameo of the Exodus. The first time here we read of Egypt as a nation. 
This is one of the first things we read about Abraham as he's come up into the promised land. Abraham is going to go through an exodus. And so, Brother Josh mentioned the handout, and this table will be in the handout. We're going to just see here how Abraham was put through an exodus. And so it begins in verse 10 of Genesis 12, when Abraham's in the promised land, and yet there's a famine. And so he goes down into Egypt to sojourn there. And this foreshadows how Abraham's grandson Jacob, also called Israel, he and his household in a time of famine would go down into Egypt. And what happens when Abraham's in Egypt? Well, his wife gets taken into Pharaoh's house and she can't just get up and leave. She's in bondage in Pharaoh's house, just as the children of Israel will be made slaves. And yet God intervenes. God sends judgment against Egypt. Verse 17, Yahweh plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. And we know that the children of Israel are slaves in Egypt, but God sends Moses. and He sends 10 terrible plagues against the nation of Egypt to judge Egypt and to deliver his people. And so this results in Abraham and his household being driven out of Egypt at the end of the chapter. Just as the children of Israel eventually, after the 10th plague, they'd be driven out of Egypt. And actually, when the children of Israel come out, they, they spoil the Egyptians. They leave the Egyptian goods, just like Abraham does here also. And so, of course, they leave Egypt and then they journey to the promised land. The beginning of chapter 13, Abraham went up out of Egypt. And verse 3 says, he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, and to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. And so they journey to the promised land. And it's not just a journey, but it's a returning a returning back to the promised land. And the final parallel we're going to pull out here is that Stephen tells us in Acts chapter 7 how so often the children of Israel turned back to Egypt in their hearts. God had taken them out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in their heart. They kept turning back and it causes so much trouble as we read through the Exodus account. And we hear, see a parallel here when in chapter 13 of Genesis, Abraham and Lot separate, it seems, because they've got lots of good gathered goods gathered in Egypt. And then Lot at the end of verse 10, he, he heads towards the land which reminds him of Egypt. It looks like the land of Egypt as thou comest unto Zoar, and it ends up leading his household into disaster. He ends up being ruined in Sodom, although of course God does deliver just Lot out of Sodom. And so we see then that right back in Genesis 12, we have the Exodus in some detail that Abraham, the forefather of the nation, is put through this experience as well as having that prophecy in chapter 15. We've reminded ourselves what the Exodus is about. It's about God's people. They find themselves oppressed in bondage. And yet it's all about how God intervenes, how he brings deliverance, how he brings great judgment against the enemy and delivers his people to lead them to the promised land. And so this is what the Exodus is about. And just to highlight how important this is scripturally, it's right here back in Genesis 12. It's prophesied in Genesis 15. At the end of Genesis, Joseph is commended because of his faith in the Exodus. And then we have the whole book of Exodus about the Exodus. And it's not just Exodus, it's also Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Five books which detail to us the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, journeying through the promised land, and then being granted that promised land and having their enemies driven out. And it doesn't stop there because then throughout the rest of the scripture, we find time and again in Old Testament and New Testament that the the Exodus is picked up again and again. It's such an important theme scripturally. It's so important that here we are thousands of years after the event. 
And yet the, the Exodus is remembered so often. It was so important that it was enshrined in the law. And just one example of that is the Passover. And although we can't keep the Passover today, the, the law is being fulfilled. There is no temple. There are no sacrifices. The Jewish people still try and celebrate the Passover every year after some fashion. They have a Passover meal. And so every year they recount the story of the, the Exodus. It sometimes begins with the youngest child asking, well, why was that night different to all other nights? And they still recount it thousands of years later, something that happened to their ancestors all that time ago. And it's so important that here we are still considering it thousands of years later and learning from it how to live our lives here in the 21st century. And so we're going to dive a bit deeper now, and we're going to ask the question, why? Why is the Exodus so important? In fact, why is it that God sent his people to Egypt when he knew that they were going to keep turning back in their hearts to Egypt? And we're going to ask this question, why, just by considering something really interesting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've already seen in Genesis 12, verse 10, that Abraham, in a time of famine, in the promised land, he goes down into Egypt and it ends up bringing disaster. And so it's not that surprising when we get to Abraham's son Isaac and he's in the promised land in a time of famine that God explicitly tells him in Genesis 26, go not down into Egypt. And so then when we come to Isaac's son, Abraham's grandson Jacob or Israel, when he's in a sore famine in the promised land, he doesn't go down into Egypt. He knows that Egypt has bread, but he sends his sons to fetch the bread and come back. He doesn't relocate to Egypt. And even after he finds out his beloved son Joseph, whom he thought was dead, is alive, all he wants to do is see Joseph before he dies. Joseph is calling him. Even then, he begins to head towards Egypt, but he hesitates right in the south of the land in Beersheba. And he stops and he offers sacrifices. And yet God tells him, fear not to go down. And so God actually allows them to go down and tells them they're going to multiply there and come back up. But why is it that God sent Israel and orchestrated the Exodus? Especially considering all the trouble it's going to bring upon the nation later on. Well, I think there's perhaps a few reasons for this. First off, God used it as a convenient place for the nation to multiply and to become a mighty nation. Again, Egypt in Scripture is called the Iron Furnace. And so perhaps it was the place to really help the Israelites to to refine them and to try them. I think a major reason is the teaching power of Exodus. As we say, it's lasted to our time. It not only taught those that lived through the Exodus, who went through that experience, who saw the miracles themselves, but it also helped the nations round about who heard of what the God of Israel had done. Those like Rahab who heard and who had faith. It's helped the succeeding generations right down to our day. We are still learning from this. So this is a major part. It's such a wonderful teaching tool. But I think it goes deeper still. But actually, when we come to the Bible, when we come to our lives, when we come to creation, it all centers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the Exodus is no different. This centers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come with me to Exodus, Exodus chapter 4, please. In Exodus chapter 4, we find what Moses is told to say when he is sent to Pharaoh. And so we see in Exodus 4, verse 22, this is what Moses was told to say to Pharaoh. Thus saith Yahweh, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, 
let my son go that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And so when we read about Israel coming up out of Egypt, we're actually reading about the firstborn son of God coming up out of Egypt. Instead of asking the question, why did God send Israel into Egypt? We can begin to ask the question, why did God send his son into Egypt? So please now come across to Hosea chapter 11 that picks up upon this. We've seen that in Exodus 4, when Israel was delivered, they were the son of God. And Hosea 11, the context of this is Israel's being indicted because so many of them have turned away from God. And so the point is made in Hosea 11, verses 1 and 2. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed him to Balaam and burned incense unto graven images. And the point is made here in Hosea that the infant nation, God loved them and called them out of Egypt. And yet he sent the prophets to call them and they've turned away from him. They've gone to Balaam. And yet, although we can see this picking up on Exodus 4, where we've just been, we see this link between Exodus 4 and Hosea 11. We also find out that Hosea 11 verse 1 is quoted in the New Testament in Matthew. It's quoted in Matthew 2 verse 15. And it links us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So please come with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to spend a bit of time in the beginning of the gospel record of Matthew. And so the context of Matthew 2 is the Lord Jesus Christ has been born and here's his young boy. And Herod's trying to kill him. And so to escape Herod, Joseph and Mary and the Lord, they go to Egypt. And it says in verse 15 of Matthew 2, they're, they're there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. And so Matthew quotes those words of Hosea and applies them to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, they're not just talking about the, the nation of Israel, but they're talking about the Lord Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the Exodus. The children of Israel, as God's son, coming out of Egypt, are typifying the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the son of God who was called out of Egypt. And so we're going to build another table here now. This one also will be in the handout, and you'll see that coming out of Egypt is this, actually the second row of the table. The exodus of our Lord, it really started when he literally came out of Egypt as a young lad. But when we think about the story of the exodus, we perhaps think about it beginning with the birth of a baby boy, baby Moshi, when baby Moses is born. And Moses, of course, is hid by his parents because the Egyptians are trying to kill all the baby boys. And so he's hid and he gets deliverance by being brought up by Pharaoh's daughter. Well, that then parallels the Lord Jesus Christ, who before this time when she's called out of Egypt, in Matthew chapter 1, we read about the birth of a baby boy. And we find that Herod's trying to kill the baby boys. And so they go to Egypt to escape this. And so both records begin with a child being born and being preserved. And then the Lord Jesus Christ is called out of Egypt. And then we're going to see that Matthew's record presents to us the Lord Jesus Christ living out the Exodus. So when the Israelites came out of Egypt, what was the next major event? Well, they come out of Egypt and then they find themselves trapped, as it were, at the Red Sea. The Egyptians are pursuing them. And yet they stand still and they see the salvation of Yahweh. He divides the sea and they walk through, as it were, with a wall of water on their left hand and a wall of water on their right hand 
and the cloud is above them. And so they're surrounded by water and they're baptized, Corinthians tells us, in the Red Sea. So they come out of Egypt. The next thing is their baptism. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew's record. He's told that he's come, we're told he's come out of Egypt. And so that's the end of chapter two. The next thing we read about him, chapter three, the beginning bits about John the Baptist. The next thing we read is in verse 13 of Matthew three. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. And so the Lord Jesus Christ he comes out of Egypt. The next thing is he's baptized, just as the children of Israel came out of Egypt and were baptized in the Red Sea, as 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. Now, before we continue with our parallels, I just want to make a point that Matthew here, he is showing the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. Matthew 1, he's born as the Son of God. God is his Father. Matthew 2, 15, out of Egypt have I called my Son. And here's the Son that contrasts with the nation of Israel. He contrasts with Hosea 11, verse 2. When God called him, he didn't go away to Balaam. He always listened and did his father's will. And then here at the baptism, at his baptism, the, the last verse, verse 17, there's a voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We get to chapter four and the Lord's in the wilderness being tempted. The temptation is, if thou be the son of God, and it's going to be shown that, yes, he is the son of God. He's living out the exodus. So the children of Israel, they came out of Egypt. They were baptized in the Red Sea. And then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because the spies searched out the land for 40 days. And a day for a year, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. Verse 2. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Here's the Lord in the wilderness for 40 days. The fulfillment, as it were, of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness for those 40 years. And so he's, he's been baptized, and now he's in the wilderness. And we see the parallels with the children of Israel. If we just expand that verse, that passage from Deuteronomy chapter 8, we see that the children of Israel are described in Deuteronomy 8 that God led them in the wilderness. Matthew 4 verse 1, Jesus was led up of the Spirit. And of course, it's into the wilderness. It says that they were there 40 years, verse 2 of Matthew 4, 40 days. The children of Israel were being proved. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ having his temptations. He's being proved. The children of Israel were suffered to hunger. End of verse 2, he was afterwards unhungered. Neither they, God didn't allow their foot to swell. At verse 6, Jesus knew that his foot wasn't going to be dashed against a stone. And in all this, God is treating Israel as a son, chastening them as a man chastens his son. This is the son of God who is in the wilderness going through those temptations. He's quoting from the Exodus record to overcome these temptations. He actually quotes from Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6. He's quoting from them in the wilderness and having that experience of the manna. This is the Lord Jesus Christ living out the Exodus. And so when we think what happens next to the children of Israel, after they've come out and they're there with the manna, well, one of the next major events we might think of is Sinai. But before they get to Sinai, a few things happen. There's a few important things. They're giving water out of a rock. They also fight against Amalek. We might see that's fighting against sin. And also Moses is advised to get some helpers. And what do we see in the rest of chapter four? We don't see water coming out of a rock, but if we think of the water as the water of the word, we see the Lord Jesus Christ begins to teach people and to give them the water of the word. He begins to fight against sin. He's telling them to repent. He's healing people and casting out devils. And he also 
takes some helpers to him, like verse 18 and 19. He takes Peter and Andrew, begins to gather helpers to him. And then he comes to Sinai. But we've seen that Moses typifies the Lord Jesus Christ. The children of Israel, they come to Sinai. Moses goes up into the mountain that he might receive the old covenant, that he might go and teach the children of Israel. What do we see in Matthew 5, verse 1? The Lord Jesus went up into a mountain. And when he was set, verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them. And so he goes up into a mountain to teach his disciples the things of the new covenant. Just as Moses had gone up into Sinai to receive the old covenant, that he might teach the people the teachings of God. And so what we're seeing here in Matthew is the Lord Jesus Christ is living out the Exodus. And I'm not sure if we can continue following this throughout Matthew. So if anyone goes away and does this, please let me know. But we're going to come now actually to Luke and chapter 9. We're going to come to the Transfiguration account because we're going to skip to the end of the Exodus. So at this point, I'm going to stop sharing the screen. And if you'll come with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. So we've seen the Lord Jesus Christ is living out his Exodus. And we're going to find out about the end of his Exodus here in the Transfiguration record. And we see from verse 30 that he is the Lord Jesus Christ and is speaking with two men, which were Moses and Elijah. Now, we remember that Moses was the one who led the children of Israel on the Exodus. He led them out of Egypt. And Elijah, here's the man, which we believe will quite possibly lead the children of Israel in what we call the second Exodus. We begin to see that the Exodus isn't just one event. It's something that happens again and again. Like Abraham, when he was first called out of Ur of the Chaldees, he had an Exodus from Ur. He went across the Euphrates. He came to the Promised Land. The children of Israel, they came out of Egypt, but some years later, they found themselves captives in Babylon. And they had another exodus. They came out of Babylon and returned to the promised land. And we believe that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, that he's going to send forth and gather all those Jews which are still scattered around the globe today. And this is what we call the second exodus. And very possibly Elijah will lead this. And he'll bring the Jews back to the land. He'll bring them this time into the new covenant and establish them in their land to at last remain there for forevermore, as it were. This is the final exodus of the nation of Israel. And so we've got Moses, the leader of the first national exodus, Elijah, the leader of the last national exodus, and they're speaking to the Lord. And they're not speaking about their exodus, they're speaking about his exodus in Luke 9, verse 31. It says, They appeared in glory and spake of his decease, or in the Greek, exodus. They spake of his exodus, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. The Lord Jesus Christ from a young boy, we're not sure what age, he came out of Egypt, and perhaps this is the age when he really first had to start fighting against sin. He lived out the Exodus. We see in Matthew's records presented that to us. But his Exodus was going to be accomplished at Jerusalem when he died. And so what we're seeing is the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who fulfills, as it were, the Exodus. When we read about the children of Israel, they're a type pointing forward to the Lord. Israel is the firstborn son of God representing the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so how does this type work? Well, what does Egypt represent in this type that God's Son is called out of? Well, in Scripture, Egypt, 13 times, it's called the house of bondage. In the Hebrew, 13 times, it's the house of bondage. It's where Israel was slaves. They were slaves to the Egyptians. They were slaves to the king of Egypt. It represents to us the idea of bondage slavery, that is bondage to sin and to death. In fact, 
Sin in scripture is presented to us. It's personified as a king. These things are also in the notes. In Romans 6, sin is personified as having servants, as having dominion. It's personified as reigning as a king or as a pharaoh. And so here's King Sin and he reigns over us. And Romans presents to us that naturally we are all in bondage to sin. We are all descendants from Adam and we have those natural lusts and affections to sin. And all of us have sinned and the wages of sin is death. And so we're all in bondage to sin and to death. We're all in Egypt, trapped. We all need deliverance. And so we have to cry out to God. And so God sent a deliverer. And so when we ask, why did God send Israel into Egypt? We can ask really, why did God send his son into Egypt? Why did God cause his son to be born of a woman, to come in flesh and blood, to be like us, that he might have to fight against sin, that ultimately God's son might die? Why did God send his son? And we know the answer. It's, it's, of course, that God sent his son to deliver us, that God was going to lead his son out of Egypt. And just like when God delivered Moses out of Egypt, he didn't deliver just Moses. Moses led forth a whole nation. God sent his son that he might deliver his son out of Egypt. He might deliver his son from sin and death, that the Lord Jesus Christ might lead out a people, a whole people. So the reason the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, came into Egypt, as it were, we know it's, it's, it's 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. God sent his son into the world where he found himself in the flesh. He was tempted in all points like we are. He had to fight against sin. And of course, he never once served King Sin. He never bowed down to King Sin. He never once sinned. His whole life he dedicated to God. And ultimately, when his exodus was accomplished in Jerusalem, when he died, he came out of that dominion or that realm of sin and death. He can no longer be tempted by sin when he was dead. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was sent into the realm of sin and death that he might condemn sin, that God might judge sin, and that God might deliver his son and through him deliver a people. So we're going to come then to our penultimate passage, which is in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10 when we're going to really begin to apply this to ourselves, because the Exodus centers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But if we are baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ, if we become his body, then these things apply to us also, because we are a part of Christ. The Exodus must also be seen, therefore, in our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, then, reading from verse 1. Moreover, brethren... I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And saw my Israel coming out of Egypt. Verse 2, they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples. Corinthians is telling us when we read about the children of Israel and Exodus coming up out of Egypt, passing through the Red Sea, that we should see these things as lessons to ourselves, a type we can apply to ourselves, that we have been called to live an Exodus also. And it begins, it begins by leaving Egypt behind, by leaving the world behind and being baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. We're never going to make it to the promised land unless we begin that journey by passing through the Red Sea, by being baptized. And if we are baptized, then that means we've left Egypt behind. We've left the world behind. We can have no longer any connection or link to the world. 
We are no longer a part of the world. We are journeying now focused to the promised land. And so in 1 Corinthians 10, he's warning us that we have to learn from Israel. You'll see that all, all, all is repeated in those first few verses. They all came out, but many of them never made it to the promised land. It's a warning for us. All of us who are Christophians who are being baptized, we won't all make it to the promised land. And yet we want many of us to. And so the last verse of this chapter, we read the Apostle Paul. He's saying he seeks to please all men in all things, not seeking his own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. We have to do our best to help each other on this journey because we don't want the many to perish in the wilderness. We want the many to make it to the kingdom. We have to help each other on our exodus journey. And so please come with me to our final passage, which is in 2 Peter and chapter 1. For we've seen that the exodus centers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are baptized into him, if we identify him with him through baptism, through each Sunday or whenever we have opportunity, taking the bread and the wine, internalizing the body and blood of the Lord, identifying ourselves with the Lord, the exodus applies to us also. We said that the word exodus occurs three times in the New Testament. We saw in Hebrews 11, it spoke of Israel coming up out of Egypt. We saw in Luke 9, in the transfiguration, that it was centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see here in 2 Peter chapter 1, that it applies to Peter. It applies to a follower, a disciple of the Lord. If we want to be disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus, the exodus has to apply to us also. And so here on 2 Peter 1, it's the context of the transfiguration. It's as if Peter's remembering back to the transfiguration and when they were speaking of the Lord's exodus. And here he writes under inspiration, beginning in verse 13, he says, Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am at, in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, or Greek exodus, to have these things always in remembrance. Peter knows he's shortly going to die, and so he's trying to help those around him towards the promised land. And he knows that shortly he's going to have a decease or an exodus. His exodus is also going to be finished when he dies. And so it's the same for all of us. All of us who decide to make that journey... Our exodus is going to continue until the day of our death. Or for one special generation, it will continue until the day in which the Lord returns and the angels knock on the door and they take us away to sign the United Judgment. And when we think about it, that's not long away. Even if we were to live another 50 years in this life, our life is but a vapor. We think about the past 10 years, it goes so fast. And the reality is our Lord could return any day. He might return today. Or we're so fragile, I could die this very day. And we're working towards that point of our death. And it's not something to be seen, particularly in a, a way we're scared of it, or it's the, at the end of our life. It's going to be, as it were, what's going to lead us to the kingdom. We are looking for that day in which our Lord will come. After our exodus is accomplished, we have that hope of entering in to the promised land. And so... Just as this exodus applied to Peter, it has to apply to us also. But if we are going to make it to the promised land, when we come to the end of our life, we're only going to make it if we've committed to that journey. So before we finish, there's one thing I'd like to do for me. 
Can you please take a scrap of paper and write on it Exodus? Take a piece of paper, write on it Exodus, and then put it in your Bible in 1st of Corinthians and chapter 3. Because 1st Corinthians 3 is our reading in a week's time on Sunday. And on Sunday, as we always do, the New Testament reading. So you'll come across this note in a week's time, God willing. Or alternatively, you could write in your diary for Sunday the 23rd, Exodus, or after this class, program it into your phone, a reminder. So that in a week's time, when we come across this reminder, if, if the Lord hasn't returned, and if we're still alive, we'll see this reminder, and we'll think back over the week. And we'll realize that in terms of time, we are a week closer to the day of our death or our Lord's coming. Time inexorably moves forwards. Seconds pass, days pass, years pass, time continues on. But the question is, time-wise we'll be closer to our Lord's coming. But during that time, will we have journeyed towards Israel or will we have regressed back to Egypt? We have to be putting footsteps in the sand towards the promised land. And so what might those footsteps look like? In a week's time, will we be able to look back and see we've got closer to the kingdom? Well, this is the principle of the Exodus. It's all about leaving Egypt behind, about dying to sin, leaving the world behind. So there's things we perhaps need to cut out of our lives. This might just be something simple like deleting an app. Perhaps it's an app you waste lots of time on, like a game or social media. Perhaps it's a song that's not helpful and you need to delete it. Perhaps you've got a worldly book and need to be like the Ephesians and go and burn it. There's things we have to cut out of our life. But the Exodus is not just about leaving Egypt, but it's about journeying to the promised land. It's about also being raised up from the dead, living a resurrected life with our Lord and journeying towards the kingdom. And so perhaps there's things we can fill our life with. Perhaps instead we can download a spiritual song. There's plenty on youthcommons.com. Perhaps we want to make sure we're doing our daily readings or implement a prayer routine, get into the habit of praying evening and morning and at noon. Perhaps it's that we want to begin a study. It might be our first ever study, something we're really excited about or interested in. We should take the time to study. it. And then finally, we also want to be helping each other towards the promised land. And so perhaps there's someone you could phone up or visit who you wouldn't normally. Perhaps you can take a normal conversation you'd have with a friend or a family member and make it spiritual and talk about the kingdom or something. Perhaps you can make an effort to, to build friendships in the truth to find those who will help you towards the kingdom. So that in a week's time, when we come across this reminder, we can see that we have got closer to the promised land. We are making progress on our journey. We're allowing God to work in our lives. We've had a couple of excellent spiritual conversations. We've cut out some things of our lives. We've put in other things. Because this is the conclusion of the Exodus. This is what we've seen. That God, with his mighty hand in his son, he has judged sin. He has delivered his son. His son has completed his exodus. And after that, he was raised up from the dead. He was given a mortal life and he's now at the father's right hand. God saved his son. And God is able to save us also. God is able to get us to the promised land. We can be there. We can stand there in the promised land. God can get us there. But the question is, do we believe this? Do we have faith in God? And are we going to allow him to work in our lives? And are we going to commit to that journey and have a strong vision of the kingdom and walk steadfastly towards the kingdom that when our Lord returns, we might be united with the one with whom we've identified with, that we might be with him, that we might stand in the promised land 
in immortal strength and that we might have a place in the kingdom of God. 